And good morning. And a happy new year. Good to see you this morning. Sorry, we're just going to... Um... Oh, look at that. The baubles are falling down and everything. Christmas is over. There we go. Good to see you this morning. My name's Paul. If you don't know me, I'm one of the, the leaders here. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to sit on a stool today because I'm going to be interviewing some people. Um, but just... As I open in prayer in just a little while, let me say a couple of things. First of all, if you want to follow, I'm just going to open up today in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. And just a big welcome this morning to Sam. Good to see him this morning, isn't it? Here we go. <laughs> if you don't know, Sam had a really serious accident um, about three and a half weeks ago. So he's coming here with a lot of broken bones, I'm guessing. So if you're going to hug him, be very careful. Be very, very careful. <laughs> can't do any more damage okay so today what we're going to do we're going to actually hear from two people about God's grace in their lives and how God has has really um shaped their lives from start to finish but before we do that we just want to get a bit of a shaping from this from God's word to get an understanding so let me pray and then we're going to have a look in Hosea chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 father thank you thank you for what we've already done thank you for being able to sing the truth of who you are. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. Thank you for every word that you have spoken, every action that you have taken in bringing us to yourself. And Father, I just pray, give us a real understanding and experience. Um, help us to believe that you're here this morning, that you're in us, that you're working, that you're moving. As we've been singing, Father, help us to understand those words. Help us to believe those words and to trust that Jesus Christ is our shepherd and will never, ever, ever, ever let us go. Amen. Okay, so before we get into this, just let me give you a very brief context. I'm not going to be long this morning, so I want us to jump straight in, but, but we need to have an understanding of what's going on. So it's about 700 years before Jesus Christ came, and Hosea is a prophet, and he's speaking to God's people, Israel. It's been a bit of a time of peace and prosperity, and what's happened because that people are actually worshipping false gods. You see that a lot, peace and prosperity often will lead to people walking towards false gods. So what they should have been given and receiving from God, they've actually been putting elsewhere. And so God is speaking to his people. He's, he's made a covenant with his people, a promise with his people, like, like marriage. Okay, and we've seen in the, in the covenants that there's, there's consequences and judgment. But what we're going to see today, that instead of punishment and judgment, we're going to get tenderness and hope. So if you put the words up for me there, the verse up, please, Matt. This is verse 14 to 15. Therefore, I am now going to allow her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So what we see, God's people are in sin and rebellion, and he, and he speaks tenderly to his people, even when they're in sin and rebellion. And so through tender, caring words, through peace-giving words, through comforting words, God speaks to his people. But we read here that he does it in the wilderness. Now this this experience is a bit of a pattern. If you read your Bibles, you'll see a pattern of God's people being in the wilderness and God speaking to his people and bringing his people through the wilderness. But why does he do it here? And there's a couple of reasons. First of all, he's reminding them of the covenant that he's already made with them. So like a troubled marriage, he's gone back to the, the first place. He's taken them back to that wilderness experience where he redeemed them, where he brought them out of Egypt. And he's saying, look, look who I am. Remember me. Remember how much I love you. Remember my character. Remember my actions. Remember what's happened. But we also see that in the wilderness, it's a place of testing and, and training. See, what, what is the wilderness? Well, well, here as we read it in the Bible, the wilderness is a, is a desert. It's a place where everything is stripped away. There's nothing that you can trust. 
And it, God's people, Israel, they were reaching out for all of the things and trusting in all of the things apart from God at this time. And God's removed all of those things by putting them into the wilderness. So all the things that they trusted and lived for, they're shown in the wilderness to be without power, um, without depth, without meaning, without any purpose. It's a place where God puts us to show us our true reliance upon God. Tim Chester describes, he says, it's the place that God gets Egypt out of Israel's blood. But verse 15 goes on, it says there, there, there I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. See, the valley of Accor, what that actually means is valley of trouble. That's the, the translation for it. A lot of your footnotes will actually tell you that if you look further down in your Bible. And it's taken from the history of Israel in Joshua chapter 7. And Israel, God's people, they're, they're on the way to the promised land, and they've just conquered Jericho. And a guy called Achan, he sins. He rebels against God and his sins, his sin is exposed. And he's executed. So this name, it has a real significance for God's people. Achor literally means trouble. It's a place that, that represents Israel's sin and defeat and judgment. And now what's happening is Israel is actually coveting those material possessions. Again, they're trusting other things outside of God again. And they're about to be defeated by Assyria and judged by God. But God is saying to them, even in that valley of trouble, that is going to become a door of hope. You see, Israel, they, they pass through Achan. They pass through trouble on the way to the promised land. But again, God is saying that through the trouble that is about to come upon you, there's going to be a doorway to new life. Sin, judgment, defeat. It's not the end of the story for God's people. But it's actually the route, the pathway to a new beginning. There's a beam of gospel light that's shining out here. A beam of gospel light. This is not the end of the story. God is always faithful to his promises. Even when his people aren't. That's what we see here. God's people, what happens is they limp along until the Lord Jesus Christ return, uh, uh, comes. And Jesus Christ, he is the truth, faithful Israelite. He is the faithful people of God. The representative of the people of God. But what happens to Jesus? Achan happens he goes into the deepest valley of trouble that is humanly possible. He becomes sin. He experiences defeat through death. He experiences the judgment of God because of our sin. So on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, representing the people of God, was defeated in that way and he was destroyed in that way. But the valley of trouble there became a door of hope. Because what happens on that third day is that the Lord Jesus Christ, he rises again from the dead. His death becomes our death, but his life then becomes our life. So he is our, he is our hope. So that, that open tomb becomes a door of hope at the other side of the valley of trouble. And it's only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can find eternal life, joy, peace, and fulfillment. See, what we're going to hear today is stories of how God has taken people to, to dark places. And it's in those dark places that God has revealed himself as the life and the light of the world. And it's going to be, yes, when they became Christians at that, at that moment and that place of conversion. But it's also a pattern that we see through our lives. It's a pattern that I've experienced through my own life. That God brings me closer to himself through sometimes dark and wilderness experiences in a place to trust upon him. There's a, a story um, from Elizabeth Elliot, who's a, a famous missionary lady. And she was in Scotland, and she was in a farm in Scotland watching some of the, the Scottish shepherds and how they dealt with their sheep. 
And what she saw was she said he was petrifying. The, do- the, the, the shepherd sorry, would get the sheep and they would dip them in insecticide before the um, insect season. Literally dip them. And so the sheep, they, they hated it. They wouldn't like it. It was scary for them. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening. It was painful and it was uncomfortable. But actually, if they didn't go through that experience, what was coming down the road was a lot worse and could have killed them. And that's often a lot of the experience that, that God will put us through. He uses wilderness experience. And what he does, he, he removes any unsafe foundations that we might be building upon. He shakes our lives up. He exposes um, hidden rot or, or hidden decay in our lives. He exposes wrong beliefs or wrong loves. And he takes us to a safe place. And that safe place, what is it? Dependence upon him. See, folks, the reality is, is, is when all is stripped away, and if everything is stripped away and all that you have is God, you're as safe as you can possibly be. That's the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. And God uses these times to help us see that truth, the beauty of Christ, and the hope that is only found in him, to show us that nothing else is going to satisfy, nothing else is going to quench our thirst, nothing else is going to fill our hunger, nothing else is going to stop searching hearts because they're searching for God. And Jesus Christ is a door of hope in a valley of trouble. So let's hear from some people who have lived this reality. Let's have Miles up first. Let me turn that on for you. There you go, sit there. there we go. He looks smart today, doesn't he? <laughs> hey, he's made an effort. He told me yesterday he was going to wear a suit. So, I don't... so I normally wear a trackie. <laughs> I'm a scouser, that's what we wear for. Paul said that I've got to dress up today. I say come like Miles. You've come like someone from a chocolate advert. <laughs> someone said I look like a failed footballer. <laughs> you do, yeah. But anyway, sorry. Them Rolex sorry, don't sorry. go with tracksuit bottoms, do they? So, Miles, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. For maybe some people here don't know you. Yeah, uh, my name's Miles, obviously. Got dodgy mics, haven't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm from um, Toxter, just down the road. I am married to Soroya. I have two children. Um, Ruby, also known as Pixie, some of you will know her, and Naima, she's sitting over there. Um, and yeah, I'm 31, I'm a teacher. What else do you want to know? And that's it, I think that's well done, that's good news. Well, obviously, I want to dip straight into it. I want to hear much about, obviously, your life and testimony. So tell us a little bit about um, growing up, your life, your testimony, experiences that you might have had that have led you to, to faith in Christ. Yes, yeah, so my life before Christ, um, I became a Christian when I was 24. So before I was in Christ, I, um, I was raised, <clears throat> my father was a Christian, my mother wasn't. So I was raised in a kind of a dysfunctional home in certain ways. Um, and that, my father took me to church, to a number of churches, because he always fell out with all the pastors. <laughs> um, so I went to every church in Toxteth. Um, so I got all kinds of crazy doctrines thrown at me. Um, and yet that kind of, at the age of about 12, 13, I, um, I didn't want to go to church anymore. Um, I wanted to be one of the lads. Yeah. So I said to me, Dad, I don't want to come to church. I want to go and play football. Um, and he let me do that. So then that kind of transpired into me pursuing worldly things, kind of pursuing identity outside of God. Um, <laughs> And what, when Romans 1 says that when we all know that God exists, so if anyone's an atheist in here today, you're not really, you know God exists. But Romans, Paul says in Romans, we suppress that truth. 
um, and we worship other things. And for me, it was worshiping myself, um, which is very common in our culture, should we say. And an extension of that was wanting to be admired. So I wanted to be admired by my peers, by my friends, by my family. Um, and yet that kind of led me to pursuing a career in the Royal Marines. Um, so I thought that is what would make me a man. People would respect me for that, being a Royal Marines commando. It's a tough course. Um, I wanted to go to war for no reason of defending my country or my queen. It was about me proving myself. Um, and that didn't fulfill me. So I was about 19, 20. Um, and yeah, it was so I pursued that, but also I also pursued kind of admiration. Say that was admiration from men. Uh -huh. I pursued admiration from women as well. And that was, that was me seeking pleasure, enjoying fulfillment and sex. Um, and that was what, that led to my life being very chaotic, should we say. So I had two children out of wedlock. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I just pursued this kind of Jack the Lad lifestyle that I'll do whatever I feel I want to do. Um, sex, drink, bit of drugs. And that kind of led me to a place of this, this valley of trouble. Yeah. I, was in, I was living in this valley of trouble. Oh, wait, what was that like? Um, it was, it's interesting because the culture says, pursue what, pursue your desires and you will be happy. Yeah. to pursue happiness with all your heart. But where it left me was, it left me feeling empty. It left me feeling, um, I, I kept running after it more and more. Yeah. If I get more of this, mm. if, I, if, I, if there's more women or there's more drink or there's more drugs or there's more experiences, more holidays, more money, yeah. that'll give me satisfaction. Yeah. But what I found was it was driving me deeper and deeper into this valley of despair, of emptiness, Everyone would have thought I was the happiest guy in the room, but I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I was empty. So were you at this point, you were, you were still in the, in the Marines? Yeah. And so were you in time away, time at home, is the way that your life worked at that yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'd be away, be an action man. Um, frustrated all the time while I was away as well, because it wasn't this Green Beret that I'd worked so hard for to be a commando. Hadn't met my... It, it wasn't God, so I worshipped it, but it didn't meet my expectations. Yeah. It didn't meet my heart. Um, and then I'd come home and uh, spend all my money and just have, live a crazy kind of life. And then I'd just see the kids, yeah. you know, kind of, the kids were an afterthought. It was about me, my life was about me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that kind of took me down a road of kind of despair. And then I met um, my girlfriend at the time and kind of mistreated her, cheated on her. And that kind of, it was, that, it was at that point that I kind of, I thought, this is, this is not who I wanted to be. This is not who, when you grow up, you think, I, want, I wanted to be married, I wanted to have kids, I wanted to have a good job and just be a nice yeah. guy. And this wasn't, yeah. I hadn't turned out. It was the first time I looked at myself for years. Yeah. And um, yeah, that kind of, that was the moment for me, that was the moment in the valley of trouble. And I thought, I remembered the God of my youth. I remembered, I knew that I knew all the Bible stories as a kid. I was yeah. a bit of a wizard at them. Yeah. Um, and I remembered some of them. And I just thought, I'm going to go back to church because there's nothing. I don't see the point in living anymore. So, yeah. So, what happened then? So, you went, was that, there's a story as well you told me when you were abroad as well and God put you through a situation. I'm not sure if that's something you can share or. In terms of the sea? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, there was many, many times, especially anyone who's been in the forces or you've, um, you kind of live maybe semen or something like that. You, you do crazy things and you feel God spared you for moments. Um, for, me, for me, it was a lot of times I'd be around the world. I'd be in Africa or the Middle East. And I'd do my work as a Marine and then I'd get absolutely blind drunk in places like Somalia. Um, or there was, a, there was a time in Oman where we were told not to swim in the sea because it was so strong. You've had your own experiences with the sea. You've preached on them. <laughs> <laughs> so because the currents are so strong in Oman. Um, but I, we'd all got drunk and um, we basically dived into the sea and swam out at night. Um, and then the currents kicked in. So. What was fun turned into a life or death situation. We were trying to, trying to swim back in. No one was talking, it was pitch black. And I couldn't, and it was pushing me out and out and out. And um, I actually prayed and I said, I said, God, please help me. And the current changed and pushed us back in. And we just, <laughs> when we got on the beach, we just lay on the beach, no one spoke. But there were so many instances where God spares you he, 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 was, he was kind and he spared me and he showed me grace that I didn't deserve. Yeah. Even when I was running away from him. Jose is all about Israel being promiscuous yeah. and running away and basically being adulter adulterous with all these other things. And that was, that was my life. But even then, I think God showed me that tenderness. He showed me that care and he was, he was drawing me yeah. back to himself. So tell us a bit about that kind of path then from... So what, what that moment of realization and then what that was like from then the door of hope opening the jesus revealing himself for who who he is what was that like wow what was it like um so i walked into a church um and i seen someone i hadn't i seen a youth leader i hadn't seen for 15 years since i was a kid and he he pointed me out and yeah. he um he sat me down next to him i, I heard and I, I sat down next to him for a couple of weeks heard the gospel preached and um, down the line, yeah, I eventually became a Christian. But that, it was knowing that God loved me. Yeah. I knew my sin at that point. Yeah. A lot of people in this world know that they're sinners. They might not call it sin, but they're depressed, they're anxious, they're down, they feel worthless, stuff like that. That's, that's, that's very common. Yeah. Um, but I knew that. But it was that God loved me, that yeah. he came for me. Um, that he gave himself for me that was that was scandalous news to me that was amazing news it was like it changed me it changed my heart um, and yeah it just it just started it's, it's, it's interesting because when you become a Christian it's a great joy because if someone gets baptised we're all joyful the person who get, gets baptised is yeah. you know we're all celebrating there's joy and peace that, that just isn't available anywhere else and it's in God yeah Augustine says, um, the restlessness we feel, it's a gift because it shows that we're not made for all these other things. We're not made for our jobs. We're not made for holidays. We're not made for even families. Yeah. These are all great things. Yeah, we're actually yeah. made for God. Yeah. And it's in, we, in him we found our rest. And that's what I found. So what's that? So you found your rest in God and you've spent your life kind of just on this treadmill of trying to never end in treadmill, trying to get satisfaction, fulfillment. And then all of a sudden God reveals himself to you and you see of life how did your life change from that point on describe that kind of because obviously there's patterns that we walk through since then i was i was the hope yeah. of the gospel transformed your life since then um in so many ways i think it's it's that 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Uh, my wife, she, she, what, she used to buy her contacts, lenses, off the internet. So she didn't go to an optician. She just bought them herself. And she, um, she went a year wearing the wrong, wrong contacts. Wow. So she was blind, and yeah. she didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> and she'd stumble into things and stuff like that. And um, then I, after a lot of pushing, she went to the opticians and got the right contacts. And she could see. And she used to wonder. She'd be like, Miles, I can see the bus, the numbers on the bus. <laughs> she'd be like, Miles, look at this leaf. And it's a bit like that. Yeah. It was, I could see the joy of life, the wonder of life, the wonder of look what God's given us and who he is. And that, um, and that has been, for six years I've been following the Lord, that's been day after day, he renews our mind. It's not like, oh, you get baptized, boom, you're saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just go to heaven. Do you know what I mean? It's over. The Lord's sanctifying us. He's, he's making us new. He's making yeah. us holy. Um, and that is, that's an interesting work. It can be tough um, because you hold, still hold on to those things that you did in the past. Those, those patterns of your mind are still like they are in the past. You still seek identity and career. might be how you look, whatever. Um, but he just weans you off them. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he shows you that he is he, he is worth more. Yeah, he is he is greater, and that's that's life as a Christian. It's it's the will of God is for you to be sanctified. Now yeah. you're in Christ, and he's he, yeah he's sanctifying us, which is amazing. And you spent so just obviously knowing knowing your, yourself and your own walk and what you've been doing the past couple of years. You've spent a bit of time with an army training facility with some young lads. <laughs> you're now working in a in a college in in the north of the city, um, and this is off the cuff. So. Um, I'm waiting for a good answer. Um, <laughs> you work with a lot of youth from this city. What do you see in, in our context in our city? How can we speak the hope of the gospel to the people of this city and the youth of this city? What are they living for? And what does it look like for us to live well? What are they living for? I'll answer that first. They're living for themselves, as I did. Um, they're living for recognition, for affirmation, um, for sex. There's a lot of uh, sexual identity stuff going on, especially as a teacher, you see a lot of it. Um, they're fighting for, to know who they are and they're grounding themselves in a lot of things that are destructive to them. So anxiety and depression and uh, disorders are, are, are very common. And it's really sad to watch, but to live in that context, I would say to all of us, be a Christian. You know, the, the, the culture's anxious. Yeah. We have no reason to be anxious. We have a living hope. We know where we're going. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We know Christ. It's 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 glorious. But we can, if we if we are not Christians, and I say that in terms of you know living in that joy, and we copy the culture, how are we going to stand out? How are we offering anything different? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of in my walk, it's been living as a Christian, living with hope, speaking of that hope. Um, and also, yeah, just, just seeking to trust and showing that you trust God in every situation. And even your struggles, that you trust God. Um, and it's strange to the world. You should be the strangest person in your family, the strangest person in your workplace. Yeah. Because you carry a joy and a peace and, a, and truth that no one else has got. And that's kind of framed, yeah, how, how I kind of walk. In my in my in my setting, because some of years might have been I'm rambling here. You didn't you didn't tell me this question, um, but 
Christmas can be a tough time for people. Families can be awkward. Um, some may be Christians, some may not be. Might all be Christians, but it's still awkward. Um, but we should be the most graceful people. We should be the most honest people. Because we know the most gracious, the most gracious saviour of all. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, be a Christian. This, this culture, it needs Christians. It doesn't need better politicians. It doesn't need socialism. It doesn't need capitalism. It needs Christians. It needs the gospel. And that's, that's, that's what we've been called to, to, to do, to preach the gospel. And that as well in the sense of what, what we often run from is strangeness and vulnerability or weakness. Yeah. Actually, what you're saying is that what we need to be as Christians is to show our strangeness in the gospel and why we're different and also show our vulnerability and our reliance upon God. And that stands out for people who are looking for, looking for answers effectively. So, last question, which I did prepare you for, just in one sentence, could you sum up the reason for your hope in one sentence? You're not allowed to say Jesus Christ. <laughs> Explain what you mean when you say Jesus Christ. The reason for my hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We center on the cross a lot, but Jesus rose again. He's defeated death. Yeah. He's defeated sin. Yeah. We have no reason to despair, yeah. and we love to dive into it. Yeah. Jesus is our hope. He's our steadfast, sure rock. Yeah. And that's kind of, in all your situations, in 2023, you're probably making a thousand resolutions you're not going to keep. Make Jesus your rock, and he'll never let you down. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miles. Should you give him a round of applause? Hello, hello. Here you go. Also dressed. No, you didn't, did you? Didn't make an effort no, at all. So. <laughs> no, no, he could have made an effort. Look at Miles. He's all like a Rolo Poli shirt thing that they've got going on there. He wore a t-shirt. Looks extra like Craig David today, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to stay away from that, Miles. I respected you. You are Craig David, though. We all know. So, Luke, tell us, tell us a little bit about. Tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't know you. So, my name's Luke. Um, I am 38 years old. Um, I've got two beautiful children, Shiloh and Isaiah, married to Mel, here as well. Um, I'm also one of the elders at Cornerstone Church, being an elder here for coming on seven years now. So, coming to the seventh year and uh, run a, a small building firm called JCIL. Some of you will have had the pleasure or displeasure of working alongside us at times or working with us. So. So, obviously it's similar in the sense of, from Mars, I want to hear from you, I want to hear your story. Um, so tell us a little bit about, how, you know, kind of what life was like for you growing up. What was your life, the, the situation, circumstances, the context that, that, that brought you to a place of, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it takes a few turns. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, for, for me, my story is kind of one of real privilege, I think, um, as, a, as a kid. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents loved Jesus, um, and you know, really couldn't fault the way that they they sought to bring us up. You know, under the sound of the gospel, uh, prayer, Bible study, just genuine, a genuinely loving and nurturing home, um, the kind of home that you know I want to try and establish for for our kids, really. Um, and I think probably around. Probably around the age of 12, I felt the, the Holy Spirit starting to do stuff in my heart. Um, I remember going away to kind of, you know, Christian camps and that sort of stuff uh, in church and, you know, 
yeah, at the end of the week you'd get like this award and it'd be, you know, my, I remember one year, mine was Barnabas the Encourager. So that's, that's kind of what I got given and I think it was because I was just engaging with people. And that makes so much sense. <laughs> well, a few twists along the way. Um, and I think, I think the, there was just a, a little bit of an aspect where my faith was either borrowed, you know, hanging on the coattails of my parents' faith or... Um, just not not fully realizing who Jesus was and uh, and what he'd done. So, kind of as I transitioned through my teenage years, uh, I really started similar to Miles, I suppose, in many ways. Started to kind of look into the things of the world. So, drinking, uh, drugs, girls, all of that. You know, that, that same old, same old. Um, and I think by the time I was about nineteen, I really started pressing into the worldly stuff. Completely stopped going to church. Um, I think as soon as I was 18, my parents had said, you know, you, you, you come to church till you're 18. As soon as I was, I was 18, I just, just walked away from it. Um, I saw that as just a, an opportunity to cut myself loose and do what I wanted to do, actually living a, a really selfish life in many ways. Um, when I was at uni, I started to get more and more into drugs. So kind of from, from you know, yeah, your weed and that sort of stuff, started doing a little bit of ecstasy, a little bit of cocaine, um, and then... Through my teenage years, sorry, not my teenage years, my university years, actually, well, I actually dropped out of university um, at the age of about 20 um, and started living, I suppose, in a way to facilitate my habit. Um, I don't want to incriminate myself here, in any way. Um, but, but basically started doing stuff for money that I shouldn't have been doing, kind of within the, in the drug community. Um, and I was kind of in that for for a number of years, really. Um, that's strange because during that whole time, um, I would never deny God, I would never deny that God existed. Um, if there ever there was kind of an argument that, you know, that brought God into it, it, it was a really weird position because I found myself not defending outright um, faith or God or anything, but I remember just this, this real cut to my heart of the, the spirit bringing conviction um, which is just a really kind of strange place to be because I was definitely in a place of wilderness, but it was a place that I'd chosen to walk into. So I'd, I'd put myself essentially through this through this area of wilderness. Um, I think kind of the, the the transition of God graciously bringing me back happened over a, a number of years. Um, I remember I can see Beryl here today. So my my mum used to go to BSF. And she used to ask Beryl on a weekly basis to, to pray for me. And thank you, Beryl. You, you know, you did. You faithfully prayed. And I think God answered those prayers. But he, he did it through a series of kind of catalytic events. Um, one of them, uh, I'd actually gone into a club to, to go and collect a debt of some money that I was owed. And um, there was a guy there who I'd had just acted in a really dishonoring way um, with him and his girlfriend. He was a close friend at the time. Um, and I'd done something that I just shouldn't have done. Basically, and I, I didn't see him there. And I walked into this club, and as soon as I turned around the corner, he punched me in the face. He was a boxer. He was a boxer in Ireland. Um, he punched me in the face. I looked straight back up to see who it was, and a, a second punch landed in exactly the same place. Um, and I ended up having to go to hospital, and he'd basically broken my cheekbone in four places. So my zygoma was broken and then ripped down my face. So my cheekbone was, was here, almost in my jaw. Um, and I had to go through a surgery. They had to wait a, a whole week before they could operate um, because the swelling was that bad. They, they literally just couldn't really see what they were doing. So a week later, um, they had to, well, they put me in for surgery. It was an intraoral one, so I've got a scar in my mouth from about there 
to there, right along my, my gum line inside. Um, but that week that I had to wait was actually a, a really kind of formative, strange week for me. Um, I was living in town at the time, so I had an apartment in town. I kind of had the, the life that all my friends wanted. Um, but I couldn't look after myself. I, I wasn't allowed any light because my eye, my, my eye was all scratched. I think it's the cornea or whatever it is. It was scratched, so I, I wasn't... The doctor said, you can't open your eye at this point because it'll damage you further. Um, so I had to go and... My parents, you know, very, very graciously, having known how I'd been walking and what I'd done and the, the life I was living, they said, come home, come home, you know. And I ended up in my, my old childhood room, the room I grew up in as a kid. So, the, you know, the room I was in from the age of four through to the age of probably 18. And I ended up back in the same place, in the same bed with the same Tom and Jerry wallpaper <laughs> and the same, uh, you know, Transformers duvet and that sort of stuff. Um, and it was just a really humbling experience. You know, I, I felt at that time just a... Looking back now, it was, it was so strange because I know what it was that I felt, but at the time, I just felt this peace. This just real peace and this rest. And I know looking back now, that was the presence of the Holy Spirit there comforted me. Um, and it was just a really kind of beautiful, poignant memory for me, really. Um, but anyway, I had the surgery. Um, started to heal up and then within the space of about four or five weeks after the surgery I was back out doing the same thing hanging around with the same people um, I remember taking some drugs and then because I wasn't fully healed yet at the time it's how foolish I was my, my, literally I just had the worst nosebleed imaginable you know it was just pouring gushing out my face um, but I still wasn't learning my lesson still wasn't learning my lesson and I, I stayed in that for, for another year Essentially, and it was, it was almost, almost a year to the day that my face just started um, swelling again, really, really badly. And the whole cheek just blew up again, and I got this massive infection in my face. And what had happened was that the, the, the metal plate that the doctors had put in my face had actually started eroding through my gum, um, cutting through, and caused this huge infection. And I actually, actually had to go for the same operation in reverse, almost a year later. So they had to, you know, cut me open again, take the plate out of my face, heal up, and I ended up again back in my mum and dad's house for a whole week in that same bedroom, that dark bedroom. And it was almost as if God was just saying, "Do you recognise? You know, <laughs> do you recognise what's going on here? Can you can you can you see a pattern?" Um, but all through that, He was just relentlessly, relentlessly chasing me down, and I still. Still didn't get it. Still didn't get it. Um, and I suppose the one of the, 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 the biggest catalysts for me was actually um, a period of incredible suffering. Incredible suffering. Not for me, um, but for a family who, who come to this church sometimes. So some of you will know Peter and Katrina Waite. And they, um, they'd been trying for years, years to have a, a baby. And they'd had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And, and finally, she carried through to full term. And she had a little beautiful girl called Eva Grace. Um, and I remember when Eva was just a couple of months old, they felt the call to go back to Malawi. And they were walking around the, a, um, walking around the, a market at the time. And they realized that Eva had stopped breathing. So they resuscitated her. Um, but she was in a really bad way, you know definitely you know some sort of brain damage at that point and the call came back to the UK to pray for her and I had not prayed for 
years at this time. Um, I think, well, the only thing I probably prayed was when I was falling asleep, I'd be like, God, don't let me die now because, you know, I, I know I'm not right with you. That was literally my prayer. And um, that was my prayer life. And I remember, I remember um, the call came back to pray for her. And I prayed um, for the first time in a long time. I prayed that God would save her. I prayed that, that you know, God would just keep her. And um, she died two weeks um, later after that call to, to prayer she died and um, I remember being so implacably angry at God I remember um, just this rage thinking these guys have given everything you know they've all they wanted was a, a baby you know and they they've spent their whole lives looking to serve you and honor you and <clears throat> go and tell people about you um, and you've taken away the baby. I couldn't understand it. Um, and then the, we got invited to the, to the funeral. It was at Belvedere Road Church. Um, and I really wrestled. I wrestled as to whether or not to go, but I thought, actually, you know, I want to I show support for the family. I want to show them, you know, that, that I'm, I'm there for them. And what I saw really did change, change my life. Um, it was Peter, the dad, and he walked down the, the aisle with this, this tiny white coffin. It was about this big, literally, you know, maybe the size, a couple of shoeboxes long, tiny thing, tiny thing. And he, he stood at the front of the church and he was weeping and sobbing and heartbroken. Um, and then he started to praise God for the life of his daughter. He stood up there and he thank God for the precious gift that he'd given. And um, I, I just, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't compute it. I couldn't, just didn't have a framework for, for how this guy in the, in the depths of the suffering he was going through How he could, how he could praise God, and I think that for me in that moment, um, the reason it was transformative was because I was like, God has to be real, and He has to be. There's no way people can can suffer in that way, and <clears throat> and hold on to faith if God isn't real, you know. So that was something that was it was transformative. But that being said, I was stubborn. I was arrogant, I was prideful, um, I didn't come straight back to God. That was just something that God kept on chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Never let me forget it. And I was probably in, you know, in that self-inflicted wilderness for, for another year after that, I would say. Um, and just God kept on pursuing me, kept on bringing that back to mind. And then eventually it got to the point where... I was empty, you know, Miles alluded to it before. You kind of live this life for self. Um, thinking I need to tick boxes to satisfy myself but you know you're right we, we've all got a God-shaped hole in our, in our hearts and if God's not in that hole you, you're empty so um, he brought me to that point graciously very graciously and that Mel our first date was the tavern and then church um, and then we've been going ever, ever since he's been very gracious in that way and things have changed um, yeah I'm a very gracious God that we get to be able to see that in the way that God upholds his people through the darkest of valleys. 
what's interesting is as well, in, in a sense of it's actually a great witness. It's a witness to the strength and power of God himself in the lives of his people, that he does carry his people through these times. And to watch that, um, it's not something we should hide away. It's to see that is to see God working in and through his people. In the brokenness of the world, who are living for a greater purpose and a, a greater future, in a way, that's, that's powerful, powerful to see. So thank you for sharing that, Luke. Just, if you could say some of your reason for hope in one sentence, how would you sum it up? It's a very difficult question. I think I'm going to go, can I have two minutes? Yeah. Go. <laughs> um, I, think, I think when I became a Christian, and I think a lot of us have this mindset, is that when you become a Christian, everything is, is good and fine. And, and actually, we see all these promises that we, that we sing, and, and actually, we want, the, we want the fruition of all of, all of that goodness right now. Um, but I think as, as I've matured in my Christian life, I've realized that very often God doesn't save us from a situation, but actually very graciously saves us through a difficult situation. And, and God's, God's intention is always for, for our hearts to be inclined towards him, because that's the, the most beautiful thing. And the, the, the thing in the Bible that really resonates with me in this is, is there's a place called Dothan in the Bible. And in Dothan, there's a couple of things that happen. And one is where Joseph is, it's basically the place where Joseph is thrown into this pit by his brothers and he's, he's crying out to God for salvation. And there's silence, there's absolute silence. And actually what we see through Joseph's life is he gets, you know, taken to Egypt and into slavery and he, he gets accused of um, things that he's not done with Potiphar's wife and, and he gets thrown into prison. And actually you see this, this seeming decline through Joseph's life. And then the other thing that happens in Dothan is, is Elijah and the, the people of God are surrounded and his servant comes to him and he, he panics and he's like, you know, we've got no chance. And Elijah prays to the same God in the same place and actually he prays, Lord, open his eyes, you know, open his eyes to see the reality of what's around us. And, and God opens the servant's eyes and he sees the multitudes of the armies of heaven surrounding them and the, the reason that those two juxtaposing stories bring me comfort is because it is the same the same god in the same place actually achieving the same thing but in different ways because god saved not just joseph but but actually so many people through joseph and through his suffering and through the the difficulty and the pain and the anguish he didn't spare him from that he didn't remove him from it yeah whereas with Elijah and the, the, the servants, it was a very different answer to prayer. One was a seeming no, but actually it was ultimately a yes. And one was a yes straight away, but actually the, the comfort comes in knowing that actually it's the, it's the same purpose that God's achieving. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His mm. thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. So when we approach suffering, when we approach times of difficulty, you know, when we approach what seems like the wilderness, what Paul was saying before is actually we have a very, very tender, loving God whose heart we shouldn't doubt. You know, if it seems slow, if it doesn't seem immediate, it doesn't mean that God's not working. It doesn't mean that he's not faithful. It doesn't mean that he's not going to turn this for good. And actually all the promises, all of the promises in the Bible, they find their yes and their amen in Jesus. So 
Whatever this year holds, it may be beauty and joy and laughter and fun. It may be sorrow and pain and difficulty. Um, whatever it holds for, for each of us, actually we've got a God who's faithful. Mm-hmm. So that's where my hope comes in. Thank you. Thank you. Should we give a round of applause? So just if, as we, as we kind of close, we're going to respond in a second with, in, in singing, but as we do, these are really good opportunities, folks, not to let these moments slip. It might be that you're not a believer here today. Can I invite you to come and speak to us? Okay, that is only, only, the only hope, the only fulfillment, the only satisfaction you're going to find that is going to satisfy you in the way that you long to be satisfied, fulfill you in the way you want to be fulfilled. The only way, the only path, the only person who can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in and through him. So please come, come speak to him. Come speak to these guys. They'll be around at the end for a bit, Miles and Luke. They'd love to speak to you about this story. Um, but as well, can we reflect on our own stories as believers here? These are great opportunities. We're at the start of a new year. What a great way to start reflecting on God's grace in our lives, what he's done, what a powerful God he is, what a loving God he is, what a gracious God he is, what a transforming God he is, what a holding God he is. So take this moment just now. There's going to be a, just a minute before we sing together. Can I ask you please to reflect on your own story? Can you reflect on your own walk of faith? Can you remember back and just count and bring to mind all the the ways that God has blessed you and kept you and been gracious towards you? And then maybe ask as we step into this next song, because we're all going to sing about, I just wrote these words down, forever he is glorified. It's about Jesus. Forever he is lifted high, forever he is risen. He's alive and he's always going to be alive. We are with him and in him and we'll always be with him. Even death won't separate us from him and we're going to be with him forever. And if you're struggling this morning, if this period of time is is hard, maybe you're through a wilderness, just take this opportunity to hear the words that have been said. God is alive. Jesus is alive. He loves you. He's present with you. And he will take you through it. He will carry you through it. He will walk with you through it. He's not absent. You've heard that. Sometimes we can believe that in these moments. He is very much present in and through every single moment of your life. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. So maybe just have a period of 30, 40 seconds, please. Just quiet, just reflect on your story as the musicians come up. I'll pray and then we'll sing together.